Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I am Brad, your host and resident beggar. I found bread, and I'm excited to tell others where I found it, the bread of life, the Messiah Yeshua of Nazareth, who gives people eyes to see, ears to hear, and brings life to the dead. This episode, Wheel in the Sky. Shout out to Journey for the title to this episode, Wheel in the Sky, off of Journey's 1978 Infinity album. The band achieved critical acclaim and commercial as well in 1981 with their Escape album, which featured the hits Don't Stop Believin' and Open Arms. In their early days, they were known by a different name. Their original band manager, Herbie Herbert, called them the Golden State Rhythm Section. Yeah, I just, I don't think you want a guy whose name is Herbert Herbert dubbing your band anything. Name creativity does not appear to run in his family. It was actually a roadie who said, how about you guys call yourselves Journey? They should have promoted that dude to manager immediately. Anyway, it's not about the music or the monikers. It's about the message wheel in the sky. Portions of this episode are in response to a request made years ago when I first started this podcast. And I know I have jokingly and clowningly said, the only request I will ever do is free bird. But I've done some requests in the past and I was asked if maybe someday I could discuss the wheels in Ezekiel. And I was like, huh. In my mind, I was thinking, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get around to that, but okay, sure. There's some stuff in the prophets that are intimidating to me, just to be honest, and, and understanding some things is is challenging at the very least. But we will look at those wheels and one or two other mysterious references in the scriptures. Now, what we need to do is keep in mind that what Ezekiel saw and is describing, as well as Daniel, Isaiah, John the Beloved, and others, what they have written and described in some of their writings, these are visions into the heavenly, whether, whether in body or in an actual vision. I do not know, as the Apostle Paul said about the man he knew who went into the third heaven. He doesn't know if it was in body or in a vision. They are apocryphal writings, unveilings. They have been given a glimpse behind the curtain or veil of the natural and temporal into the eternal and heavenly, and they're describing in the best human terms they can what they are seeing. These are things which eye has not seen nor ear has heard. And as I'm slowly going through a fresh study of Revelation at present, what I can tell you is I'm seeing this letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor in a way that I never have before. And that actually is what prompted uh, this episode, going through that, going through that study and, and linking things together. And it's honestly going through Revelation right now, I feel a bit like a dodo as I'm, as I'm going through it. Like some, sometimes what I'm, what I'm reading and hearing and seeing, I'm like, I, wow, I have never seen it this way before. I know nothing about this book. 
Now, there are, there are pieces which I have a grasp on, and I'm, I'm glad, though, that I've never attempted to, like, lead a study or do a teaching through the whole book. What I'm seeing is that the modern-day teachings, which I have sat under, have been so far off the mark, no pun intended, but, but it's like pastors, preachers, and teachers have not understood this writing, and so they feel left up to developing their own teaching or understanding. And another big part of the issue is much of the teaching that that happens today on this book is based on a Western mid or 15, 1600s Western eschatology. Whereas it should be read and understood in a first century Jewish eschatology with that understanding because that's who wrote it and that's who it was for. So in any event, it's it's just scary when looking with new eyes at something, uh, you know, and, and just recognizing some of the misguided attempts to explain things. I've said it before. Every preacher, teacher, congregational leader has to be willing to say these three words. I don't know. And not be afraid to say them. People should not expect you to have all the answers, nor should you put yourself in a position of being the one with all the answers. Humility is an important attribute in a leader. And I don't know is a really humble statement. Maybe, you know, it'll cause people to lack confidence in that individual, but that's okay. Our confidence should only be in God anyhow. All right, sorry for the rabbit trail. On with the wheel in the sky. So let's read from Ezekiel chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 13. As for the form of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, resembling torches moving between the living creatures. There was brightness to the fire, and lightning went forth from the fire. The living creatures were running back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, behold, one wheel was on the ground next to each of the four-faced creatures. The appearance and structure of the wheels was like the gleaming of beryl. The four had the same likeness. Their appearance and their structure seemed to be a wheel within a wheel. And then in Ezekiel 10, and you can read these chapters in their entirety, of course. In, uh, in Ezekiel 10, starting at verse 2, he continues explaining what he is seeing. He spoke to the man clothed in linen and said, Go in between the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim, fill your hands with glowing coals and between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. So he went in before my eyes. All right. So before exploring these wheels, we see a mention of some living creatures. And so this is where my study in Revelation kind of ties in. So I'm going to back up to verse 5. This is Ezekiel 1 verse 5. From within it came the likeness of four living creatures. This was their appearance. They had a likeness of a human, but each one had four faces, and each one of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the hoof of a calf. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. 
They had human hands under their wings on their four, on their four sides. The four of them had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. They did not turn when they moved. Each could move in the direction of any of its faces. As for the form of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings touching the wing of another, while another two were covering their bodies. Now, each being could, be, could move in the direction of any of its faces, wherever the Ruach would go. They went without turning as they went. Now, let's look at what the Apostle John seems to have seen or describes what he has seen um, of these same living creatures, I believe. Revelation 4, in the middle of the throne and around it were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now, in John's description, he attributes one face on each of these living creatures, which I believe is because he saw these creatures from a vantage point of each one facing different directions. So he only sees one side of the creatures, each one displaying a different face from his perspective, whereas Ezekiel had a different view from which he could see each creature having four faces, one on each side. All right, so what's up with these faces? We see a lion, an ox, an eagle, and the face of a human. In accordance with Jewish understanding, the lion is the king of the wild animals. The ox is the king of the domesticated animals. The eagle is king over the birds, and man has dominion or is king over all living creatures, as is revealed in Genesis chapter 1. These living creatures are angels, probably cherubim. They worship from below the throne. The faces representing created beings as they worship provides the understanding that even the kings of the creatures, these created beings, even all of them are beneath Hashem, the Most High, El Elyon. So these creatures, I believe, are angels. All right, now, back to the wheels. The appearance and structure of the wheels was like the gleaming of beryl. The four had the same likeness. Their appearance and their structure seemed to be a wheel within a wheel. Go in between the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim. All right, let's also take a look at Daniel 7 as he describes what he witnessed in his apocalyptic vision, the unveiling that he was blessed and allowed to see, what he saw when that veil was pulled back for him. In Daniel 7 and verse 9, we read, While I was watching, thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His garment was as white as snow, 
and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, and its wheels are burning, are, are a burning fire. Its wheels a burning fire. All of these wheels being referred to in these unveilings, they have to be significant. So what are they? A throne with wheels. It, it gives almost a strange imagery to me anyway. I mean, does, does the throne look like a wheelchair? And we see the, you know, the flames shoot, coming from it for the wheels of fire. Or is it like a motorized cart of some kind? Well, no. Methinks not, even though that's what my, my brain tries to come up with this literal image. So what then are these wheels or what do they represent to you? Or do they represent? So what I'm going to submit to you is these wheels are angels. What? Wheel-shaped angels? All right, so I get it. The first thing we have to do is open our minds beyond the limited and simple image we may have of angels with a human-shaped form with you know with wings wearing a long flowy robe or what whatever and some carrying swords some playing harps and the other things we have to get that image out of out of our minds that is one role for a specific angel you know a specific angelic being there there are some who take on a human form but the various descriptions we see in the scriptures, including what we just read in Ezekiel and Revelation, multi-winged creatures, some with four faces. Isaiah describes seraphim as each having six wings, and with two he covers his face, and with two covers his feet, and with two he flew. In Ezekiel 28, Adonai tells the prophet he has set a terrifying angel as a guard for him. How often do we see people freaked out and frightened when they encounter angels in the scriptures? Most interactions begin with the angelic being saying, fear not. Our, or maybe just my, impression of angels is very limited. And we see descriptions of creatures with, like we just read, with multiple eyes on their wings and on their front and on their back. What makes me think these wheels are angels is in Jewish angelology, there are 10 types of angels. The two with which most are familiar are cherubim and seraphim. And cherubim, from which we get our word cherub, right? We use that word a lot. And, and people use this to describe babies. Oh, He's a little cherub. Look at that face, the face of an angel. And I think if we have a better biblical view of angels, we probably wouldn't compare our babies' faces to them, just based on what we just read. Most are, are kind of scary. They, they are inhuman in appearance, and they should be, because they aren't the created beings that we are. Is it not enough to say of a baby? And we have to think about this. If you say of a baby, this child is created in the image and likeness of Hashem, the living God. Is that not enough? I think that's, yeah, I think that's, that's like the top, right? That, it doesn't get 
bigger than that as far as a created being goes. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just run with that. All right, I digress. Many are familiar with cherubim and seraphim. The other eight types of angels in Jewish angelology are Chayot HaKodesh, Hash, uh, Hashmalim, Erelim, Malakim, which are messengers, Elohim, which can also be translated as God, but as reference to angelic uh, spiritual beings as well. B'nai Elohim, which are sons of God. And this um, reference is to those we see in Genesis 6, um, as well as some other places in the scriptures. There are Ishim, and these have the appearance of humans. The Hebrew word for man is Ish, Ishim. Those are the ones who have take on an appearance of man. And then there are Ophalim. Ophalim is what is described in Ezekiel 116. The appearance and structure of the wheels was like the gleaming of beryl. The Hebrew word for wheels is Heopanim. The appearance and structure of Heopanim was like the gleaming of beryl. The root word in Heopanim is Ophan. Ophalim are angels. That's where this word comes from. The wheels of the chariot and the throne are angelic beings. I believe, this is my understanding, that these, that these wheels, these Ophanim, are angelic beings, and this is the role they play. It's literally how they roll. Now, trying to envision this, you know, angels as wheels may be a little bit challenging. We have to remember the ones to whom these things were revealed did their best to relate what they saw in the heavenly realm in human terms. Picture, if you will, the Ark of the Covenant. Gold, rectangular in shape, with two angels facing each other on the, on the lid of the ark, upon which rested the dwelling presence of the Holy One, blessed be He. When this earthly throne of the Most High was moved from place to place, how was it transported? There were poles that were placed in rings affixed to the ark, all made of gold, and four Levites one at each end of the pole, at the corners, lifted and carried the ark, one at each corner, like wheels on a chariot. That is how I see the wheels of the heavenly chariots, even perhaps the fiery chariot that whisked away the prophet Elijah. And this is how I see the wheels under the throne of the Most High. So what exactly do they look like? I don't know. And if I did, would I even be able to properly convey it in human terms? Probably not. So what's this all about? And what does it mean to us, present-day followers of the Messiah, Yeshua? Well, one, I hope it helps bring some understanding to the mystical images we read about. And we may not fully comprehend them, but having some understanding helps bring clarity to the rest of Scripture. Also, I believe 
we can make a connection here in the same way these angels have different characteristics and purposes, so do we. The body of Messiah is made up of different parts, members. We don't all have the same specific individual purpose, but we are all working toward the edification and building up of the body of Messiah. Do you know your purpose? I believe most know the overall purpose of the body, to be a light to the world, to reveal the Messiah to those around us, to be the salt of the earth, to call the world to repentance and reconciliation to Hashem through Yeshua. In that, what is your specific role, calling, spiritual gift, ministry, and purpose that works toward the building of his kingdom, the mutual goal? If you are uncertain, I want to encourage you to seek Adonai and allow him to reveal to you what you have been equipped to do right now, in the here and now. The overall or, or big purpose you have may not be right now in this moment, but you are being refined, prepared, fashioned, shaped, and hammered into what he has for you. And for myself, some personal testimony here. I believed from very early on in my faith that I had a calling on my life. I didn't know exactly what it meant or would look like, which actually caused much frustration in me. Because no matter what I did, I always felt like, man, there's something more. There's something more. I worked a variety of different jobs, served in many capacities in churches, trying to find it, whatever it was. Nothing I did really satisfied or felt like I was fulfilling my purpose or calling. Very little that I did. I won't say nothing because that's, that's a very general statement, but very little that I was doing. I, I absolutely enjoyed preaching and teaching God's word when I've had those opportunities. But I assumed at some point it, it would look like me serving in some capacity in a church as a teacher or a preacher serving within a church setting within those four walls. And I came to the place where I just resigned myself to serve as best I could where I was, no matter, no matter what. And honestly, I wasn't certain of what it would come of it. I grumbled and complained sometimes within myself and sometimes aloud because working in the auto industry, while it made for good financial provision, it was not overall fulfilling. Though I loved to be involved in people's lives, and that was, that was you know, I kept pushing and pursuing, and I... I became an associate pastor at the church I assisted in planting. And, and I thought, okay, well, maybe this is it. Perhaps I'll one day be the head pastor here or pastor a church along, you know, that, that is planted out of this small church. Whenever I was provided with the materials and courses to take to get myself licensed, I just wasn't feeling it. And I know we don't, go, we don't go by feelings, but there was still something not sitting right in my spirit about pursuing this line of ministry. It just wasn't, the connection wasn't there. I served, I taught, I grew, still unsettled, but simply trusting Hashem. 
seeking to do his will and looking at every place I worked and everywhere I served as my mission field. That's where he had me. And so that's where I need to, needed to serve. After 24 years in the auto industry and then about a year of just trying other jobs, trying to find what would fit and what would work, a door opened and it caught me by surprise. With no credentials and very little practical experience, I was offered an opportunity to counsel men and women who struggle with addiction. I learned of the opportunity while at a Torah study with some dear friends of ours, and I reached out the following week. The manager of the facility is a believer. We talked, we prayed over the opportunity, and I waited with with some anxiousness. If I'm being completely honest, but trusting God would put me in the right situation. Finally, got the call, and I have been allowed to serve in such a rewarding way. What I envisioned early on in my faith looks nothing like what I'm doing right now. And if I just instantly got my my wish or my thought, what I pictured was going to happen, snap my fingers and doing that. I would have missed out on so much in life. And what, what I do now looks nothing, again, like what I imagined for all those years. I thought I would be in a sanitized, safe church setting surrounded by church folk. And daily, I find myself surrounded by broken, hurting people, desperate to experience freedom and the life for which they were created. I get the privilege of walking with them through some of the absolute worst life has to offer. And I would not trade what I do for the best paying job on the planet or to be the pastor of the largest congregation on on earth. Not at all. I wouldn't trade what I'm doing for that. For those seeking your high calling, and I use air quotes with that, or or your, your specific purpose, Please rest in Hashem, rest in him and trust him. My time in the Air Force, in radio, in the auto industry and other odd jobs were all preparing me for something incredible and something, as I said, completely unforeseen to me. My warning to you would be, Don't just kick back in complacency, waiting for that high calling. Put your hands to the plow where you are. Serve in the mission field in which you are currently planted and trust Hashem. You will be a blessing and be blessed where you are. If one sits around waiting for the big purpose or high calling, I fear it will never come to one unwilling to allow that refining, shaping work of the Most High that preparation. One day, I believe you will look back in the rearview mirror and see all you went through, as as I do right now, all that I went through was to get me to where I am now. Maybe you're a wheel on a chariot or the throne of the great king. If that's what you were created to do, you will find joy, fulfillment, and passion in serving in that capacity. Study to show yourself approved of God. There is a lost and dying world in desperate need of what we have, who we have, the bread of life, the Messiah Yeshua. 
Let's go out and give them heaven. Until next time, may the favor our master, Yeshua the Messiah, found in the eyes of Hashem, be upon you and all your household. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, reign in your hearts and minds in the Messiah Yeshua. Grace and peace. Chain Shalom.